What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode, and this one is titled Blockchain Understanding Trustless Data Storage. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Jamal Reyes, Director of Business Development at BitPay, on the show. And BitPay is the world's largest cryptocurrency payment processor. And Jamal is regarded as an expert in blockchain payments in the Atlanta area and around the world. He is also an active member in numerous blockchain and fintech organizations. So Gumbo listeners, Jamal will be schooling us on the inner workings of the blockchain industry and what BitPay is and tons and tons of interesting and exciting details and news about what's going on in the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin industry. So sit back and relax and enjoy the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Demetrius. All right, Jamal, let's go ahead and get into some interesting stuff here centered around Bitcoin. This is the very first Bitcoin and blockchain uh, episode that I have recorded, I think, ever on, on, on the gumbo. So Bitcoin is the first blockchain based cryptocurrency, and it has been uh, since around 2009. Right. And it, it was created by this mythical character called Satoshi Nakamoto. And let's start off by sharing with the gumbo listeners what is a blockchain and how is it used for more than just Bitcoin technology? Uh, yeah, no, great question. So Bitcoin was the first example of blockchain technology, but there's definitely other use cases that are really exciting that other companies are exploring in the space. There comes a lot of other use cases, but essentially blockchain allows an immutable uh, ledger, an immutable paper trail, if you want to call it that, that allows people to verify that data is correct. And that is simply it, right? So there's a multitude of use cases that really can benefit from accurate, accessible, and trustless data. And when I say trustless, I mean, you don't need necessarily a, a organization to verify the validity of something when it's on the blockchain because it is internationally verifiable. It is it, it is somewhat immutable, right? Which means that these transactions, these uh, additions to a ledger, whatever, any data that you add to a blockchain is not only verifiable by everyone around the world, but it is also impossible to remove after it's been confirmed and, and added to the blockchain. So it's an exciting use of data. It's an exciting use of technology because now we have trustless, non-managed systems that can hold our data for us and verify that those are accurate, which is really exciting in this day and age. Yeah, you know what? It, it is very exciting because you, you don't hear a lot of people talking about it in, in the storage and backup and recovery industry. So I am like truly excited that, that you're on here and I finally get a chance to you know ask you some questions about you know Bitcoin and blockchain, et cetera. So can, can you go ahead and break down BitPay for the gumbo listeners and why it is so cool to consider using it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so BitPay at a high level is a, the largest payment processor for, for cryptocurrency. So what that means is businesses can use BitPay similar to using like PayPal or Square to accept payments from their customers, but we uh, but using cryptocurrency. So we actually are unique in the fact that uh, the way that we take payments absolves the merchant or the business accepting the payment of any risk. There's a lot of headaches that come with cryptocurrency. 
volatility of the price, the security of the asset, the technology that you need to handle it, et cetera, right? So all of those headaches uh, make it kind of infeasible for someone to accept cryptocurrency, but yet there's this massive market, $350 billion worth of cryptocurrencies out there and rising every day. Uh, nearly 25% of millennials also have Bitcoin in this day and age too. Wow. So it's becoming an increasing market that a lot of people need to start paying attention to. And BitPay allows, it gives you the tools to essentially accept payments from this massive market without any of the headaches or the risks that come with it. So mainly the reason why someone would accept crypto is mainly because of this $350 billion market, but also it's a very cheap and efficient payment mechanism when you compare it to some of these traditional payments today. Wow. Now that that's uh, that statistic that you just rolled off about millennials is is a little shocking to me, but I, I can truly believe it because um, the millennials that I have living in my house, they they, they are not quite that advanced yet. But I am sure uh, like they I still have issues with TikTok and trying to figure out, you know, what TikTok <laughs> is. And I, I tried to use TikTok and she gave me about five seconds and I kind of gave up on it because it, it was a little too complicated. You got to hit this button and it was it was just a lot. So um, <laughs> I know I digress. No, I'm with you. No, I'm with you. I, I think it's uh, the millennials are obviously the next wave of of the market, right? They we need to start tailoring solutions for them, and they're definitely bringing up a mass massive market share of, of targets to to go after, right? So it's interesting that 25 percent of millennials have it. It's a Nielsen report that. Uh, that you guys can look into. It's pretty interesting. Uh, but the the report actually lists that 50% of them as well are interested in it, right? So not only 20, 25% hold it, but you're talking about 50% of the, the millennials in the world today are interested in learning more about it or learning more about how it's used and maybe potentially getting involved with it. Okay. Let, let's go a, a little a little bit technical here on, on the blockchain. So what I understand and what I know right now is that it's it's but blockchain is basically it's spread across a distributed network of computer systems, right? And it appears that it is some type of like in my world, like an append-only database that you know you mentioned immutable as well, so immutable storage. Uh, there's there's some time stamping that's involved, and that's secure. And it's also a ledger that is publicly auditable, right? So my question is, how how does the blockchain make it safer? for a person to, to transact or, or move value? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I'll start with traditional pain points, right? Traditional pain points of our current financial system are that you need governing bodies to manage everything, number one, and it's hard to trust those governing bodies in certain areas. Uh, number two, it's costly and expensive to be able to manage these systems, right? So blockchain um, and specifically Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies using blockchain solve this problem because uh, these cryptocurrencies are all made, or the system that's designed here, it's all made in a trustless fashion, which means that there is no governing body, uh, but yet you still trust the system and the way it's designed because it is designed in a way that prevents fraud or any malicious act. Right. Um, so let me dive into the example of Bitcoin here. So let's say I had $10 of Bitcoin mm -hmm. and I wanted to send it to you, Demetrius. Uh, what I would essentially do is I would take that Bitcoin from my wallet, a software that I use to hold my Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I would broadcast a transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. And miners, you might have heard of Bitcoin miners, which are essentially the ones who manage the Bitcoin blockchain. Miners all over the world receive note of my transaction that I'm trying to send you, let's say, $10. Mm -hmm. And they essentially approve that. 
if all looks well, if my balance is correct and you're a, a suitable recipient, right. then they approve that transaction. And one miner approves it, another miner approves it. All over the world, you have these miners that are seeing this transaction, approving the legitimacy of it, and then essentially adding it to the blockchain. And when it gets added to the blockchain, they are actually rewarded. So they're rewarded with new Bitcoin or new cryptocurrency, depending on which blockchain they're mining. And that essentially is, is what ensures the trust, right? You have all these miners all over the world that take note of these transactions. They verify the legitimacy of these transactions. They get rewarded. So they're incentivized to do this properly. If at any point in time, there's one miner or a group of miners that wants to act maliciously, the rest of the world will see that and just not approve that transaction, right? So yeah. with that, since it's, it's a distributed network, and you hear that word a lot, since it's such a distributed network, you distribute the ownership or the governance of it to all these miners. And when you have a majority rules kind of protocol in place, you essentially rule out any cases of fraud because the rest of the world, the rest of the miners that are incentivized to stay in line because that's their income stream, mm -hmm. uh, they essentially see this transaction and don't allow it to go through. So when you, when you talk about the world of decentralized and blockchain decentralized or go hand in hand, Right. You're talking about the decentralized trust or the decentralized governance of this blockchain, of this of this usage of the blockchain. And that allows it to make it very safe, very. And then immutable is also another word that goes, gets thrown in there as well. When you make these transactions immutable, the fact that you can't reverse a blockchain transaction, it's impossible the way the, the system is set up with these miners. And the fact that it's immutable, you have a lot of trust in this system to work properly because everyone, regardless of their purpose, their intentions or not, they're monitored to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Yeah, didn't didn't mean to cut you off, but who who are these miners that, that you speak of? Are these like ex bankers or are these just you know normal people just like you and I? So it could be anyone. Um, so essentially, a miner has decided to purchase hardware and volunteer electricity to the Bitcoin network to process these transactions. Right. So I could decide to mine. I could buy a mining rig, or I could set up my computer to start mining. Uh, and I could just plug it in my garage and have it run. And essentially what I'm doing is volunteering that processing power from that hardware, as well as the electricity it uses to manage it, volunteering that power to the Bitcoin network so it can run. And if I volunteer that, I get incentivized by getting new Bitcoin paid out to me. No, I'm just saying I, I've heard of it before, but I, I just want to have that cleared up for, for the listeners here. Um, you know, what, what's a Bitcoin miner? Yep. And mining is, is obviously specifically used for cryptocurrency, but miners exist on every blockchain. They're the way that these blockchains essentially grow, right? So when you hear of a block on a blockchain, it actually is essentially almost like a block on the blockchain. Uh, for the Bitcoin network, for example, uh, every 10 minutes on average, a new block is added. And what that means is some miner is taking transactions in, approving all these transactions and adding them to the Bitcoin blockchain. And that Bitcoin blockchain is essentially just a 10 minute by 10 minute snapshot of everyone's ledger balances. So like right now, as we speak, the next Bitcoin blockchain is being added. Next Bitcoin block is being added to the blockchain. And that next Bitcoin block is going to contain everyone on the Bitcoin network's balances. So for example, if I was to send you $10, one block in the blockchain would have a balance of $10 for me and a balance of $0 for you. I broadcast that transaction out. A miner, multiple miners pick up that transaction, verify the legitimacy of it, looks good. And then they add that transaction to the next block on the blockchain, which essentially means it decreases my balance by 10 
increases your balance by 10 and that is immutable it's it's published essentially to that next block on the mm, blockchain okay and you can follow these transactions so when you talk about publicly audible you can go back on these blockchains all the way to the inception of bitcoin itself and see how everyone's balances have changed via transactions about every 10 minutes mm, okay now I, I was really crazy about bitcoin and blockchain when i when i first heard about it several years ago and i remember reading a story i think this was in 2014 and 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 this just validates that blockchain is not just all about finances and and just used for for money. Uh, I read a, about a couple that that was getting married and <laughs> they used the blockchain to you know declare their love by having all of their attendees scan a QR code, uh, which actually linked to a transaction where the data is associated with the marriage and um, the marriage certificate and it's recorded on the blockchain. So my question is, I guess, what other things are there that people are using the blockchain for that the Gumbo listeners would, would find fascinating? Uh, yeah, no, there's a, there's a variety of use cases, of course, that couple getting married is one. Uh, anything that you could use data for at a scalable fashion that needs to be verifiable, right? So there are really exciting use cases that are pop popping up all over the industry. Um, you have companies like IBM that are exploring blockchain use cases with major Fortune Top 500 companies. You have small companies here and there trying to, trying to build their own blockchains that are based on certain protocols that are specified for a group of people. So for example, there might be blockchain transactions specifically for healthcare data. Um, and that healthcare data has this, this backend blockchain that the construction of the blockchain and the data it holds is specifically designed for healthcare data. Um, one interesting use case I heard about the other day was with Walmart. Mm -hmm. um, I had a colleague of mine, not at BitPay, but a colleague that I know, um, who was walking through a Walmart store with one of the CFOs of Walmart, and that CFO picked up an apple mm -hmm. and said, where did this apple come from? He asked his team. Um, and actually took them about four days to figure out, I think, if I remember the story correctly, but it took them an extreme amount of time to be able to get that information back to them. And there, there was actually a question about the validity of that data. Was it accurate or did they just come up with something, right? So it was an interesting use case and they actually started leveraging or they're working on leveraging blockchain to solve that issue. So what hopefully you'll see in the next couple of years is that Walmart and other companies like it are using the blockchain data to verify where these produce pieces come from, um, how how long ago was it picked? I mean, obviously, I'm not too familiar with how they're using it, but yeah. really exciting cases in random areas that you never thought possible. Um, but they're using it essentially to verify where things come from, verify the accuracy of data, and it's publicly audible too, which means that essentially, eventually, a user, a person, a customer will be able to walk into a Walmart. Um, scan potentially a QR code and verify that this apple that they're purchasing was picked at this place. It's safe. It's a legitimate apple or whatever. Obviously, that's a, a high question or anything. But yeah. um, you have the ability to look at these, these products and verify where they come from, verify the supply chain behind it, and feel comfortable that what you're buying is exactly what you want, right? Yeah. So blockchains can be used in a variety of ways. It could be essentially be tailored to nearly any use case, uh, but it is being used today by massive organizations to verify the, uh, 
verify data and hold that data in a publicly secure way. Yeah, I, I almost thought you were going to kind of start start a joke like, the, you know, the CFO was walking through Walmart and then he picked up an apple. And I was like, this this sounds like the uh, beginning of a joke. <laughs> but um, right. It's kind yeah, of crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. Up. And this also reminds me of, you know, r- ransomware and, you know, kind of the primary currency that hackers use is, is cryptocurrency, right? And they, they use Bitcoin Correct. for ransom to be paid in. So I guess I want to shift to that side of the house. So I, I guess why are hackers utilizing, you know, uh, cryptocurrency as their form of payment? Is, can you answer that question? Yeah. Um, so cryptocurrency by nature, I mean, everyone's kind of heard about the ne- negative stigmas that come with cryptocurrency. Um, cryptocurrency by nature can be used anonymously. Right. So if you get down and dirty to the technical side and you're actually holding the the code behind the Bitcoin on your phone, it can be held completely anonymously. There's no account that's required. Remember, there's no governing body. So no one creates an account with Bitcoin organization and uses that to manage their Bitcoin. They essentially just have software on their phone, their computer, any device, and they can hold crypto without any sort of account or, or anything necessary. So because of that, it has become very, uh, it, some people have used it maliciously for, for anonymous payments, right? So you've heard of all the, the dark web and hackers utilizing it. It's very easy to transfer. It's very easy to move. And on top of that, it's very private. So it actually makes it a pretty good like currency or store of value to use for these things. But what you're seeing in this day and age that's interesting is that there's kind of like a double side to this. While it's so anonymous, while it's so like uh, easy to use, without any sort of account or identification, it's also extremely public. So what we talked about earlier is that the the blockchain records every single transaction in the history of the blockchain network, in the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, so whether it be the first Bitcoin transaction ever recorded to the one that I just did five minutes ago, every transaction is recorded and publicly audible, auditable by anyone. Um, so at that point in time, you might have users that are, or sorry, hackers and malicious parties that are trying to use cryptocurrency maliciously, but you you can also follow that transaction all the way to the end, right? Now, yes, so what I mean by that is, let's say I get hacked and I have ransomware on my computer and I send um, $500 in Bitcoin to this hacker, right? That mm-hmm. technically right. can go to an anonymous account and I can't say, okay, that account is owned by John Smith. I can't say that because it can be technically a non-custodial private account. But what I can do is given that the blockchain is publicly auditable, I can follow whatever that guy does with that money all the way till the very end, right? Mm. So in this okay. in this day and age, what we have done in the crypto industry is started to identify and do what's called KYC, which is know your customer at the endpoints so that someone can move money in crypto all around as a hacker but the second they try to spend it, we are going to identify who they are. And therefore, we're going to retroactively look back and say, this is the hacker. Um, so it's, actually, it's actually interesting that you bring this up because um, most people might have heard about the Twitter hacks that just happened with all the celebrities a couple of weeks ago. And actually, we were pretty instrumental in catching the hacker that was involved because he essentially used BitPay as one of his spending options. So he, he got wow. about... He got about $150,000 worth of crypto, I believe. Um, and obviously, if he keeps that money in crypto, doesn't do anything with it, he should be fine, 
right? Like no way to identify who that is if the money stays in crypto, unless he like right. identifies himself in some way, right? Um, so if he just kept that money sitting there, we would be no way able to track him. But as soon as he wants to do something with that money, turn it into something that is utilizable, like uh, paying off a bill or buying a gift card or paying for an item, right? As the second he does that, we then can verify who he is and we then can start cracking down on him. And that's actually what happened. So now I'm a little confused. So let, let's say all the Bitcoin that that person had, let's say it's sitting in a, a digital bucket. Okay. And so let's say he virtually robbed someone and now some kind of way he got all of those funds to go all the way back to transfer back to his digital bucket. All right. Follow me. Mm -hmm. So now he decides that he wants to go out and buy a pair of shoes or something, right? With that with the money, but the Bitcoin or whatever that cryptocurrency is in his digital bucket, he just makes a generic transaction. So how do you separate the money that he stole from what's already in his account? Because it seems like if he didn't use the money that's, and, and maybe I'm thinking about it from a physical money perspective. Yeah. So you think that there's an actual physical bucket and all the, the cash melds together. In his digital bucket, there are different groupings of transactions that have come in. And while he may have, while he may have, they call these UTXOs, it's worth looking into, but it's pretty complex though. So each transaction has what's called a UTXO. And you can essentially verify, it's different like groups of transactions that have come in throughout time in that digital bucket. Now, if you look at that digital bucket, the balance will still be the combined balance, the aggregate balance. But you can verify on the blockchain that this this one grouping of transactions had had gone in this way, right? So, so for example, let's say that he's got five hundred dollars in in his Bitcoin wallet right now. He hacks you and gets another thousand. So now he's got a grouping of fifteen hundred, right? Fifteen hundred dollars. He can buy an item for $1,500 and we will identify who he is, but we will say, oh, 500 of this $1,500 or sorry, a thousand of this $1,500 is illegitimately gained because Demetrius flagged it as a bad transaction. Mm. So now that he, even, even years later, even years and years right. later, we have strong automated tools at BitPay that scan every transaction that comes in, every single one that comes in to verify it against years and years of blockchain data and say, have any of these transactions been flagged by the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the Homeland Security Department, right? We have powerful tools that directly connect with these departments because we're doing automatic scanning to prevent any illegal transactions, any money laundering. I mean, there is a lot of Bitcoin out there that has been used for nefarious purposes. But unfortunately, those people, fortunately and fortunately, right? Um, those people are unable to transact with that money because as soon as they spend it in something that gives them utility. So for example, anytime they liquidate it, anytime they buy an item with it, anytime they pay for a Delta ticket with it, whatever it is, they are instantly identified. And now we can just say, Hey, we know that this transaction four years ago was used to hack someone. Um, sorry. Right. Um, we, we pass that information on to the law enforcement and they, they act on it very quickly. And that's actually exactly what happened with this, this hacker with all these celebrity yeah. guys. It was a group of three guys all over the world. One was in London, one was in the U.S., one was somewhere else. Um, and yeah, they had they had this crypto. They successfully scanned people, and that's fine. But the second they want to get utility from it, the second they want to cash out, we are there to say, okay, we've been watching this transaction from the right. beginning, and we were waiting for you to liquidate it, and now the law enforcement's going to act That is on scary, it. man. Like I almost want to pause 
pause the show and go off somewhere and just think about that for a minute because <laughs> we're like in, we're in this we're in this new space that you know if if you're talking financially let's say paper money goes away one day which I do believe that it will <laughs> um and we're just dealing with all digital transactions across every aspect of our lives man it's it's going to get a little a little interesting but we oh, we yeah. won't go there we we, oh, we yeah. won't go there <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I was also doing some reading, Jamal, and what I what I found was that there there are about what five hundred and something million total transactions thus far on the blockchain, and but it's not a lot of data. So you, you're only talking about three hundred gigabytes of data that's stored across all those five hundred million transactions, and this, this is like to the end of June of 2020. Um, so it's being stored in in these decentralized solutions that that claim to be secure and private, right? My question is, how can they address the scalability challenges that that may go along with this? And do you think the current configuration of the way blockchain is set up is sustainable, or will, will it need to be like reworked in the future, or some type of other model needs to be set up in order to keep keep maintaining this as the transactions can continue to grow? Uh, great question, actually. Yeah. So I would argue that blockchain databases today are still far more scalable than other databases of the similar type. But you're right, there are limitations mm -hmm. on the current blockchains. Um, but I would argue that that's where the industry is growing. Um, so you have heard of other cryptocurrencies out there, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, maybe Ripple, maybe these are all different blockchains and these different blockchains are created, they're coded, they're designed in certain ways to handle a lot of these scalability, scalability issues in different ways. So some people say that scalability bottlenecks are going to be the rewards that miners see. So there are other blockchains that are coded where the reward system is different. You have other people that say that the scalability bottlenecks are going to be the speed of the network and how many transactions per second can be can be used. So you have other type of blockchains that batch those transactions in and they've just designed a situation or a solution that handles that particular pain point. Um, so there are a lot of scalability ceilings, I would say. They're far higher than other block or other databases out there. Uh, but you have a lot of new development. You have a lot of new blockchains coming out um, that are being built in a way that hopefully is going to be a lot more scalable. Um, Bitcoin is based on a mining system or based on a, a blockchain system called proof of work. And proof of work is essentially just what I said, what I described earlier. I volunteer my processing power and my electricity to the Bitcoin network. And that's what processes it. That's what runs these transactions. You have other models that are slightly different um, that accomplish different things, right? So another one that's coming out actually in the next couple months is going to be something called proof of work. So instead of proof of, or sorry, proof of stake. Um, so proof of work is where I volunteer that processing power and I have to volunteer that electricity. Proof of stake, instead of volunteering that processing power, I volunteer money. I volunteer like Ethereum. Right. I volunteer uh, a random cryptocurrency and I stake that amount to ensure my legitimacy. Right. So when you when you when you stake that amount, you essentially are putting a deposit down that says I'm going to process these transactions legitimately. And if there if at any point in time I do something malicious, I do something fraudulent, whatever, that money will be taken away from me. Mm. Right. OK. So. Again, that's just another example of a different model to run blockchains. You have new models coming out nearly monthly now, 
right? Where people are trying to solve different pain points that come with traditional, like like the traditional Bitcoin blockchain, some of the other traditional uh, blockchains as well. You have other people coming out with different models that hopefully are a lot more scalable, number one. And number two, there are always upgrades that happen to these blockchains as well. So upgrades that happen to the Bitcoin blockchain happen, I would say, once a year, maybe. Um, updates that happen to the Ethereum blockchain happen uh, maybe twice a year, right? So these upgrades hopefully uh, slim down transaction size, they increase the block cap uh, capacity, things like that to help scale the, the blockchain up and make things move faster as more and more adoption comes in. Wow. Well, I, I've truly enjoyed our conversation and this one is definitely going down in the gumbo history books as being like one of the most unique uh, ingredients that, that, that we're having in, in the entire repertoire of data protection gumbo. So um, I, I do appreciate you coming on. So I, I want to roll into the closing gumbo question. And this is one that I ask each and every individual. I've recently changed it and modified it a little bit uh, to something that's uh, more in line with the times of what's going on right now. So that question mm -hmm. is, Jamal, what makes you frustrated or angry enough that you would consider standing in front of, let's say, the Federal Reserve Bank and protesting about it until there's change? <laughs> no, that's a that's a great question. Um, I mean, honestly, there's uh, the entire market, everything I'm describing, like you said, has only been around since 2009. And that may seem a while ago, but when it comes to financial systems, that's incredibly new incredibly immature, right? So I would say that we're in the very early stages of understanding the impacts, the the benefits, the pros and cons of of cryptocurrency and other blockchain-based tools. And I would I would yell at the the Fed and maybe even the, just the government as a whole to try to just catch up with the times, right? So I would say that regulation right now has not been designed or has not been caught up enough with how things have been escalating in the Bitcoin world uh, or cryptocurrency world for that matter, right? The cryptocurrency world is growing incredibly rapidly. Like I said, 25% of millennials hold that, hold cryptocurrency. That is incredibly quick, just 10 years. And all these millennials have all these cryptocurrencies, right? Compared to the financial system behind debit cards. When debit cards came out, it took about 50 years for it to get adopted and really into our lives, right? So we are very early, I would say, but I would say that the market is moving much faster than the government can handle right now. And I would, I would get, my frustration comes from, I would say a lack of regulation in general, but specifically a lack of regulation around protecting users who use cryptocurrency, giving them the ability to, to transact with this awesome financial system that's truly international, that's truly efficient, that's truly trustless, giving them access and comfortability to start transacting in this system uh, without any worry about liability or illegal governments or whatever, or illegal transactions or whatever, right? So I would say that if I was to yell at the Fed for anything, it would be to catch up, right? The times are moving incredibly fast. Financial systems are changing incredibly rapidly. You have like companies like Venmo and and other companies like it that have have dramatically blown out the space. They have dramatically changed the way that we transact on a daily basis. Um, and and I would argue that the the times the regulation has not caught up with it, right? So cryptocurrency is very exciting. A lot of it has a negative stigma, but that's changing quite rapidly. And I would say that there is a lot of money, there is a lot of benefit, there is a lot of good that can happen by learning this system, by learning how to use it properly. 
I'm not even talking about making money. I'm talking about underbanked, underprivileged people who don't have access to, to their own money sometimes, right? One use case that's really exciting, imagine if you're a contractor, let's say, for example, uh, you're an Uber driver in Kenya, right? You're driving around in, in, in Kenya all day, you make your money, and, and obviously you want to cash out at the end of the day. Traditional payment systems are so underbuilt that you have to get like 15 sponsor banks to move that money from the US all the way to you in Kenya that can take upwards of five to 10 days, and that can actually be very costly. Right. And then not to mention all the FX changes moving from currency to currency. Right. And then on top of that, once you get that money, that local contractor in Kenya might not trust his local financial institution to hold that. Right. So entering cryptocurrency, you have the ability to pay out anyone in the world instantaneously for cents, for literally cents. And it's a universal currency that everyone understands. So you don't have to worry about FX. But more importantly, that user, that individual in Kenya is the custodian of their own funds. They don't have to trust a local banking institution that might be corrupt or whatever. They don't have to trust a local banking institution to hold their funds and keep it safe. You have a digital asset that's trustless, that's very secure, that you are in charge of because you hold it on your own device. And now you are in a lot more control and you can spend that in different ways and move money around different ways and without the need for local infrastructure, which is huge, right? You're talking about solving real pain points for people, but I would argue that regulation hasn't caught up to make it easy for these people to start taking advantage of this stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, Jamal, you can, you can tell that you're very passionate about this. Uh, <laughs> Man, I, I have a lot to learn from you. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to like sync up with you and, and, and get with you uh, a little bit later. But I truly appreciate you appearing on Data Protection Gumbo. And I am for certain that the Gumbo listeners will walk away with a ton of information, uh, a lot of things that they're going to have to research. And I, I will be surprised or I won't be surprised if someone actually reaches out to me and say, hey, who is that Jamal guy you had on, on the Gumbo? <laughs> Can, can you reach out to him again or you know what's his deep what's his information like um if you have a twitter account or if you want to be reached on social media is there any kind of way that uh, a gumbo listener would be able to like reach out to you um i would say either find me on linkedin or i'd be happy to share my email to every one of your listeners as well feel free to reach out to me directly with any questions it's a very exciting space it really is right um and i'm glad i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it you can kind of tell how passionate i am about it all right. Well, thanks for coming on The Gumbo, and you have a fantastic week, Jamal. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn, and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.